Hello and welcome to Dialect for Flanger, which is a chat show where I talk about pop culture and stuff and comics and movies. And But today it's none of that. It's it's sport. I'm talking about sport. Who am I? Have I been kidnapped? I've been replaced by a pod person. What's going on? Where's the real Paul? Uh, but yeah, there's a reason for this. I'm talking to a mate who's into comics, so and we met because of comics. Let me introduce Moby, Stefan Mobus. How you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, Paul. Lovely to chat, as always. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, good. We've been friends for... I've lost track, but for, how did we first meet? Do you recall the first time we ever met? It's almost 20 years now, isn't it, Paul? That's got to be. It must be getting close. Yeah, our, our daughters were in the same class at school, um, so when they were both quite young, I remember us meeting at probably a parent-teacher night or something, or uh, they had some activities whereby you could help the school out by by cleaning you know, the grounds and things like that, and we shared some of those activities and got to talking about some of the things we both loved, I remember. Well, I think the first time was actually at my place, because uh, Lucy had a birthday party, and you brought your daughter over oh that's right yes yeah and you said nice t-shirt to me which um i was wearing a purple bizarro t-shirt so i thought <laughs> hang on hang on this guy he just he isn't just going superman shirt he's going bizarro shirt so he obviously knows stuff about comics so yeah that was the first time i remember meeting you yeah okay you got a better, better memory than i <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah we uh we became friends and then we were i think we were sending books to each other via the children at school which was all well and good until we realised we were both working in the same organisation in the same place. <laughs> How long did that take? <laughs> <laughs> I think it took more than a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which uh, just shows that we never actually talked about things like that. <laughs> so what do you do? <laughs> the basics. But anyway, as long as I've known you, I've known that you are massively into uh, a German metal and European metal and also football or what. Some people in different countries who don't know what they're doing call soccer. So let's talk about your soccer because it's been a bit of an important time for soccer fans in Australia. Football fans. I'm going to start saying football from now on. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. (laughs) You can hit me from now on if I say anything (laughs) other. Yeah, it sure has. So I come from a uh, German background. Both my parents are, are German. I came out here when I was about two months old lived in Canberra all my life since then, but uh, Germans love their football. So my old man, my dad, uh, was always keen on watching World Cups and um, getting us, you know, encouraging us to play from a young age. And I did so. I've, I've pretty much played all my life up until about two years ago uh, when a uh, dodgy knee has uh, seen me uh, sadly at the door. But So not only playing, but uh, going along to Canberra, Canberra teams playing in national leagues uh, from a young age, uh, along with the whole family. Uh, when I was old enough to buy my own season tickets, I did so. I went to um, the Canberra Cosmos Games. Uh, they folded in about 2002 in the National Men's League here. And this is all prior to the A-League, which we which we have now. So from then on, the highest level football you could go to was, was women's football in Canberra. So I started going to W-League games. They, they kicked off in 2008 with the current iteration of the competition, and Canberra were very successful in those early years. So I went along to a few games, and after a while I, I realised that I was, I was a bit silly. I was just sitting on the edges of the crowd and going on. It took a few years, but I ended up realising it was so important to me that I just didn't want to miss a game uh, at all and finally became a season ticket holder in probably about 2016 or so and have been ever since. But the women's football really appeal appeals to me and, and, and it has for quite a long time. Um, I find it to be a very honest brand of football. Um, they play for all the right reasons. 
they are amazing at um, connecting with their fans and the crowds. And women's football, you know, back for the last 10, 15 years, doesn't have, didn't or didn't have, <laughs> does now, didn't have a massive following uh, in the country. So you'd go along to a Canberra United game and, you know, there'd be a thousand people there <coughs> also. So it was quite easy to, um, to if you had a favourite player or two, you could have a chat or um, catch up with them afterwards. They, they invited the members to interact with them in, in events after games and that sort of thing. So after a while, you you really feel connected to this group of players and, and the club. So I decided in about 2019 that I would, on a volunteer basis, and I think you know a bit about volunteering for football <laughs> uh, journalism, Paul. Yeah. On a volunteer basis, I would join an organisation whose sole aim was to um, promote discussion and uplift um, women's football in the country and Aussies playing it even overseas and that sort of thing. I'm now I've been doing that for five years. Uh, the organisation's called Beyond Ninety. Uh, we're still we're still volunteer. I currently do about two articles a week. It's a lot of hard work, but it is, as I said, very rewarding, and I feel like I'm giving back to the game for all the years of enjoyment that I've uh, been able to have. But um, up till this year, I'd never been to a World Cup of, of any shape or form. I, I haven't been overseas since the mid-1990s, so I never got a chance to follow our teams in an overseas World Cup. So when the World Cup bid was won for Australia and New Zealand, here, and that was women's football, which is my uh, preferred form of it at the moment, I think. I love the you know Socceroos as well, but I'm... I think I'm more attached to women's football by far these days. Um, I took the opportunity to jump in boots and all and bought tickets for about a dozen games or so and took a month off work and just followed the action around. It was fantastic. But uh, the games weren't in uh, all in one spot, were they? No, no, they weren't. I bought several stadium passes. So um went to Sydney about five different occasions across two different stadiums and had two different stints up in Brisbane, um, a few days in Melbourne. Uh, which we stayed down there it was very nice, and then also a trip over to New Zealand for just for three three days, as, as it turned out, uh, to see the semi final over there. Yeah. So when you say it's a more honest form of football, what what do you mean for the women compared to the men? So you find um, watching men's football, there's a lot of play acting. So a lot of people falling to the ground pretending their leg's been badly injured and trying to appeal to the referee. And uh, Aussies don't really like that sort of behaviour with their with their football. You find that the women don't do that nearly to the same degree. If, if they take a knock, they just get up and get on with it, typically. Perhaps coming into the game a little more at that highest level with some countries, but by and large, they're playing because they want to be there. They want to just get up and get on with it. And it's highly refreshing, I've got to say, to enjoy football in that way mm. and so, so why do you think australia got so behind it at this stage i mean what's what's different about now for uh women's football yeah i think it's been coming paul um i remember going to a um matilda's game in penrith stadium in 2017 the uh it was the first time that they'd sold out a, a big stadium and they defeated brazil in that game and i remember walking out of that i think the crowd was about 17,000, and my son went with me in that game and I remember walking out of that thinking, this is a real moment. Um, this team has captured the imagination of the Australian public. And there was a real vibe about what was going on. And I think that's been building ever since. And the emergence of players playing in the top leagues overseas and the appeal of players like Sam Kerr and 
a lot of the other Matildas who are now in equally high-profile teams, like Ellie Carpenter's in um, Lyon, who are probably the highest-paying women's football club in, in, across the globe, they're really getting that sort of profile. And because they've retained all the connection qualities, like reaching out to the fans and being accessible, and they're, they're amazing role models, I think, for both girls and boys and men and women. So I think that's I think there's been a groundswell. And as we've had some success, we got as high as ranked number four in the world a few years back. Uh, we're not we're not at that now. We're, we've just hit ranking number 11 after the World Cup. But because we're able to mix it with those with those teams, that's really caught, I think, the imagination as well of the of the uh, public, more so for that team than what you see at the, st- at the level below, at the National League level. We're not getting that level of support yet at that level yet, but uh, we suspect deeply and early ticket sales for this coming W League season, uh, our league women's are, are reflecting that it's going to be a record breaker on, on the back of the success of the um, of the World Cup. Uh, so t- t- tell me, Paul, about your, your um, sports writing. <laughs> well, I my son was playing football at the uh, just the school level, so he was uh, in the primary age, which is sort of, you know, below 12 i guess and yeah he was in a, a team from about year four onwards and the i got involved because that's what you do when you're a dad and you're in a small town <laughs> but yeah but i ended up being the the media officer for the team uh which it's a challenge because i had to write up every single game and there was about 10 games a week and they're all basically the same and you couldn't single out anyone who was good in the writing because it was read by everybody so you basically had to highlight just about all the kids in the team and say interesting things about what they were doing when that you know like some of them they got the ball over the line because you know, eight other kids were picking their nose nearby. You know, rather, <laughs> it was hardly dramatic playing, but uh, yeah, I became I got a reputation for just writing silly crap in the local paper. So, you know, like I would I would try and make it interesting for myself rather than write the same thing for every game and every team. And you know, like so I'd end up quoting uh, Liam Neeson's speech from Taken, you know, <laughs> things like that, and. Uh, like some teams, there weren't enough kids to form one team, so they joined with other teams. And I would liken that to uh, um, the forming of the group Asia from all the other groups that made like a super group and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was... No one knew who I was really in town, but people knew my writing. So they were, oh, you write that silly stuff in the paper. So, and they... <laughs> I'd hear that it was the first time it was worth reading, which was nice. But I got burnt out. I could only do it for... I did it for like two and a half years and i think that was it i just couldn't do it anymore uh but you are of course writing at a different level for a different audience um yeah but making just as much money as i was at it i imagine yes that's right yeah <laughs> doing doing it for the love of it yeah yeah all right so logistics wise um how hard was it to get good tickets because uh, I, I saw photos that my sister sent me of her seats and they were in the nosebleed section at, in the sydney games um yeah, so what did you do to get good seats? How did you do? Well, I didn't always have good seats. Um, I got in on day one, as you can imagine. I um, I got word in the afternoon of the days that the tickets went on sale that the Matildas passed, which was the, the set of tickets you, you got for following the Matildas around, had sold out by, by before lunchtime. So I arranged to get home as soon as I could, which was just before four o'clock. So you were too busy at work to stop and get them? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't, yeah. couldn't do it at work. Uh, and plus, my, the work phone connection is not always the best. So oh, yes, yeah. yes. 
had to come home and have some dedicated time because I didn't know how long I'd be sitting in queues and things for as well. So, yeah, rushed on home, bought stadium passes, and my hot tip for for anyone who's doing doing this next time for, for a massive tournament is do not buy Category 1 seats because try to buy as many um, Category 1 seats as I could, thinking they'd be the best seats, but what happens is that everyone thinks the same and you end up in the nosebleeds, whereas if you get um early Category 2 seats, you end up between two to three to 25 rows behind the corner flag and that sort of thing, which is ah. much, much better than, than watching it um, six tiers up in the, from the halfway line. So it's a it's a vagary of the um, the booking system that they, they count a ticket that's um, row 350 on the halfway line as better than a row that's three rows back on the on the on the corner flag ah. so, so you save yourself money and you end up with a better better ticket so so I, I learned that uh, this this world cup so I, I i was fortunate enough to be really close to the action on two or three games and you really do get a sense there of the, the physicality the speed the technique uh, how how incredible these players are but it was also good in some ways to have some of those higher uh, seating arrangements where you could get an overview of the game and some of the tactics, even if you sometimes couldn't make out who the players were because you were so far back. Yeah, so uh, we, we got reasonably lucky, I, I guess. Um, not too many nosebleeds. I also got a sense of how good all the stadiums are for, for football uh, around the country that I went to. So I went to Allianz Stadium Australia, Suncor and Amy Park, and they are all wonderful Stadiums. Oh, I hadn't been to a few of them before, so that was that was really nice to see too. So why wasn't it in more states around Australia? It was. I just chose to buy stadium passes for the the games that I was interested in. So they also had games in Adelaide and Perth, and quite a few games uh, in New Zealand. So you could have bought uh, Adelaide stadium passes or Perth stadium passes, but I I didn't end up going to those because I was more interested in following the Matildas. And Germany, who was another, you know, because of my background, I, I wanted to see them as well. Yeah. So I bought bought a, a specific ticket up in Brisbane for one of their games, and it just turned out that the uh, passes that the Matildas were playing in the Eastern States, so I got three cities worth of stadium passes. And was this a lonely affair doing all this? Uh, no, it was it was it wasn't. Uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, my son joined me at nine of the games that I, that we went to, so he came to all the Sydney. Well, most of the Sydney and Melbourne games, I think he missed out on one that, that he could have got to. Uh, so that was really good. And I also travelled with a couple from work who are also long-time Canberra United members. So most of the time I travelled with her, but occasionally she'd need a little break and her husband, Eric, would, would come along and, and join me for some games. So I had, co- had company uh, the whole time and I'm very grateful for that because you're right, it would have been a different experience trying to do it all on your own, even though with my Beyond 90 connections I would have known some people in some other towns, but it was a manic time. It was, you know, as you can imagine, people everywhere, so catching up with people was not always all that easy. So, yeah. Uh, to me, it, it sounds like a kind of easy version of the Amazing Race, uh, <laughs> but still, you know, kind of demanding and stressful. Yeah, it was. It was exhausting. I was lucky. I managed to fend off uh, any sort of illness till right towards the end. I, I think I picked up a cold on the way back from on the way to Auckland, and on the way back, so I was starting to suffer a little bit, but I got through most of it. But I've heard that from a lot of the people who are, you know, who, who did what I did and went to many, many, many games. Hardly any of them have come away without 
um, being completely exhausted and and or sick at the end of it. Right. But everyone just absolutely loved it because we we didn't really know how big it was going to be. We had hopes and we had probably vibes and feelings that it was going to be uh, a success, but we had no idea that it was going to capture the imagination of the of the Australian and New Zealand public like it did. Like the highest ever TV rating since the Kathy Freeman race in in the 2000 Olympics. I mean, seriously huge numbers. 17 million people, I think, watched that England game, Australia versus England. So it's just on TV and streaming. So that's, what, 70% of the population. Wow. (laughs) So that's the sort of reach it got. And women's football desperately needed that because compared to men's football, uh, even in this country, it's been underfunded, been the poor cousin. There are many, many tales if you read some of the literature of women who haven't been able to play in girls' teams when they were younger. They've had to use hand-me-down equipment. They've had to play in equipment that's not built for women uh, or for girls on, on substandard fields getting less quality coaches and, and all that sort of thing. So um, the government's an, announced, I think, $200 million for to uplift women's sport at the junior level and, and above in this country, and that's well overdue because even basic things like facilities, girls and women are just not catered for across the country. So, so it's been desperately needed, but it's been very welcome, and everyone was blown away by how the nation took to um, what was going on. It was... It was the talk of the town, really, wasn't it? Oh, it was everywhere, yeah. It was constantly in the news and, you know, all the... I listened to it on news podcasts and they suddenly all turned to talking about football for two weeks. But, yeah, it it was great. I think one of the things that really captured everyone's hopes and dreams was the fact that Australians love winners and if we get a whiff that we can win something, you know, we will come out for that in much more than, you know, if it's a sport where we've got no chance at all. Yeah, and it was such a near thing. I mean, we did extraordinarily well. We finished in a, uh, in a semi-final. We, we lost a, a semi-final, which was the highest placing we've ever had in a World Cup, men, men or women's. We reached the quarterfinals of the 2015 um, World Cup, but this is, you know, a step higher. So, but it's the margins are so small in tournament football. Like, you think about where we were at in the group stages. We had a narrow, unconvincing win against Ireland, a loss to Nigeria, and then had to turn that form around 100 degrees and, and somehow did so and blitzed Canada. Canada were higher ranking than us in the world. They're, they're the Olympic champions, and yeah. we beat them 4 0. Like that was a magic night to be at. It just everything went right. And that was without our supposed That's best right, player. That's right, without Sam Kerr's. So that was incredible how the rest of the team stood up in her absence as well. So from then on, I think there was a real ground school. And because we won that last game, we actually managed to top the group. And this is what I mean about the small margins. If we'd finished second, then we would have met England in the round of 16. So that could have been the end of the campaign right there and then because right. they ended up beating us. England have got probably the best coach in the world at the moment and they were ready for us because we had a narrow victory over them in a friendly about a year ago. So they know how we play and they prepared for us extremely well. They saw that we don't play so well in a highly physical game, so that's what they did. They bullied us. <laughs> and by that stage, by the semi-final stage, I don't think our coach was remarkable and he will say that he had com- complete belief in the team but he did not rotate the players compared to every other team in the competition so by the time we got to the semi-final time the team he'd picked the same team pretty much every game and they were knackered 
So they were, they were tiring, and you could see yeah. that. So, and that's probably thinking, well, maybe we wouldn't get that quite that far, but happily we did. So, yeah, still an extraordinary performance. But uh, if we'd uh, managed our squad a bit better, and he'd spent the last two years building up the squad so that we didn't have to rely on our best 11 or what he, on our starting 11, let's, let's call it that, we had the players on the bench who could come on and do just as well but he chose not to play them for whatever reason or play them way too late in the game where it was too late to make, to have that sort of impact. And that really hurt us at the back end of the tournament. But, you know, who's complaining? We, we made a semi-final of a World Cup. <laughs> so, And people were, were talking about, like other coaches of other nations were saying that we were a chance to win that, the whole thing. So this is this is how far we've come. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and of course the... The weird thing about playing England is a lot of people on our team are playing their teammates <laughs> from when they're exactly. uh, working yeah, overseas. Same for Ellie Carpenter with France. You know, half of her um, Lyon team were playing for the French team when she was up against them. So there's a lot of knowledge between both teams of uh, of the strengths and weaknesses of of each other, and a lot of friendships on the on the park as well, um, which aren't evident when you're playing, but you, you can see afterwards. There's a lot of fondness between between the different team members and groups. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to ask a, a question now about possibly a moronic question, but here we go. Uh, what has Ted Lasso done to the game in Australia? <laughs> I've only watched a couple of episodes. Can you believe that? I've, I've been what? Given, yeah, I've, I've been given the episodes to watch, but I've only seen a couple. I, I have really enjoyed the ones that I've seen, but I do know that it, there is a lot of talk about uh, the Ted Lasso show. A lot of my um, footballing friends... Uh, talk talk to me about it all the time and say how wonderful it is and what, why the bloody hell aren't you watching it as much as you are? Yeah. So yeah, I mean it it all helps elevate the the bubble of talk around around football, which is always good. Yeah. Yeah, but I I, I haven't watched the whole thing, so I probably can't comment that much. But I I do know that all the about all the buzz around it around the show and that. So yeah, the whole thing about a a, a woman guiding the club that's a really good part of the story. Then there needs to be more of that sort of thing in the real world, and you don't see that many women coaches still, for example, out in the real world. There's some of them happening at that top level, but um, with the women's teams, yes, yeah, 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 and certainly none for the men's teams. I mean, have you watched um, Home Ground, the SBS show about the women's coach in Norway who uh, who took on um, the men's teams there? That's that was a Another highly recommended show if you can get to watch that. No, no, okay. Yeah, so that's that's worth a look. Cool. All right. So, which was the most stressful stadium to get seated at? Ah, uh, Stadium Australia, easily. Um, so if you're in the if you're in the nosebleeds, it is a long climb. Like the per, um, the person I was sitting there with had to pause twice to get up to the up to their seat. Um, but the worst thing was the the trains afterwards, um, the public transport. You would. We waited for an hour and a half on several occasions to get out of there because it, there's eighty thousand people leaving the ground and um, all wanting to get on the same train. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty pretty nuts. But I, I got to say, um, it all went pretty smoothly. Like I said, the the grounds are pretty wonderful. But yeah, just getting in and out and to to the grounds, they did a really good job of making the surrounds very atmospheric and celebrating the event. Yeah, my experience with Stadium Australia, I mean, it's in the uh, the district that was built for the 2000 Olympics. So, you know, there's all this extra space in there and it's very, uh, what's the word, mall-y, like a mall. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I've uh, been there for concerts and things. 
Okay, so what were your highlights? What were your best moments of uh, football itself? Can I talk about a non-football thing first? Yeah, absolutely. I love the the flavour of the different nationalities in the crowd. Like you go to, say, a a game that Colombia was playing at, and they did extraordinarily well. I mean, they were quite a low-ranked side, I think, coming into the tournament and I think made the quarterfinals. Um, They had berserk supporters. It was just incredibly good. Um, people would dress up. They they were by far like the Columbia England game I went to, which was straight after the France Australia game. Um, they were outnumbered by the English in the crowd, English support in the crowd, but were like twice as loud. So, <laughs> so they were incredible, and you you had different flavours of of what was going on in the crowds depending on the nationality. So I really enjoyed that. You know, a lot of support from from all the teams, visitors coming coming into the into the games and getting behind their teams and just adding so much to the atmosphere. So so I found that was a that was a really good pleasant eye opener. So sorry, what was the question? The question was about the football, my most enjoyable football moments. Best moments, yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple come to mind. Obviously, the, the France penalty shootout, that's that's completely unprecedented where you have 10 people from each team taking part in a penalty shootout. I've never seen that before. Never, all my years of playing, never been in a penalty shootout that's gone that deep. Um, so, you know, the euphoria when when the Courtney Vine hit that, hit that win, winning penalty and the pressure on the players to either stay in the penalty shootout or to, you know, try and win. Pretty brave stuff. And same with the keeper, Mackenzie Arnold. She she was extraordinary in that in that shootout. So that was a real real highlight um, for the thing for the uh, tournament. But uh also Sanku's goal. I mean we I know we lost the game against England three one, but her goal, just the roar in that crowd at that moment, because that she leveled the score at that time. And it was an absolute cracker. She took the ball from halfway, um, you know, ran in between a couple of defenders and then just guided this perfect shot uh, into the top left corner over the diving keeper. And just the, the way the crowd erupted was just insane. So that was a really, really big moment. I mean, that was on par. I went to the 2005 Socceroos versus Uruguay game at Stadium Australia where John Aloisi hit the winning penalty to get us into the World Cup for the first time since 1974. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was a hell of a moment, right? The crowd erupted and all Sydney went off afterwards. This was this was the same or, or better. <laughs> so it was just that was just an incredible moment, yeah. So they're probably my two favourite moments. But um, I, I just also really enjoy the Spanish. Like, I know that they won, but they won for a bloody good reason. They, their skills uh, and ability on the ball, clearly the most dangerous side in an attacking sense, but... Just a joy to watch, you know, their touch on the ball and their technique. Just uh, just wonderful stuff. I'm glad they won. I picked them to win in the end. So I think England might have played their grand final a bit against us and they didn't know how to cope with uh, just the sheer ability of the, of the Spanish. And you have to remember that the Spanish won that game with 12 of their best players, not at the tournament. So it tells you how... how come? To, sorry? How come? They've had a long-running dispute. They've, there's been a few countries that have... A few nations that participated that had some things going on in the background, but they've had a long-running dispute about the um, the management, the coaching of the of the side. Around about a year ago, uh, 15 players uh, wrote to the Federation and said, we won't be playing right. for, the, for the nation anymore, and three of them uh, decided to come back in for this World Cup. So they played without 12 of their first-choice players and still won the tournament. Yeah, and we've heard what happened since they went home and spent a shit show over there. Yes, yes, yeah. Probably don't want to talk too much about that, but it was <laughs> pretty appalling, yes, yeah. 
So that that were probably my favourite favourite moments playing wise. But also the um the under a lot of the underdog teams did so well. You know, a lot of the top flight teams, top five nations, top six nations, um, got booted out quite early in the competition, which gave a bit of spotlight to some of these um other teams like Colombia, like Morocco. Yeah. Um Japan were incredible until I, I think they got a bit of stage fright in the end. <laughs> What was the biggest surprise of the tournament for you? Biggest surprise, probably just the way these top five nations just got taken out of the tournament early, I guess. Did it feel like it was just going off script suddenly? It did. Um, The US won the last two World Cups and, you know, been just this number one powerhouse for so many years. Got taken out by Sweden. I feel sorry for Sweden. They knocked out US and then Japan, who were unbeaten at that point. Uh, did all the hard work and then lost themselves. But um, New Zealand beating Norway in the very first game of the tournament, that was pretty incredible. They'd never won a game at a World Cup. Norway are a top 10 team around where they are now. So that was that set the tournament off on an amazing note. And we watched that at a um, just at a pub just outside the stadium and then walked in to watch Australia play Ireland afterwards. So that was a big moment. Um, the, the, the crowd in that pub is just all the way behind New Zealand in that game, and they, they had that wonderful win. So that was really good. But, you know, the loss, the loss of teams like, like Canada, I mean, we knocked Canada out. They, they were higher, higher ranked than us. USA, you know, the Netherlands didn't get as far as they would have liked. So you're just seeing all these other teams come in and do well. That, that was probably the surprise. But also just the general reaction to the whole event, Paul, I think was we've talked about that already and how it was embraced and just the feeling that you were part of something that was transformative yeah and quite special yeah that was amazing yeah right oh hey what are your plans for four years time you're going to do it all again i'm 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 planning to go to france for the olympics next year so uh the matildas play in a qualifying tournament in october and assuming they get through they should be able to take part in that so that's that's my next trip planned we don't know whether where four years time is going to be at this stage so um We'll have to wait and see. Um, yeah, but I'm looking forward to um, getting across to France next year, and um, it's a much shorter tournament. So yeah, that'll be that'll be nice. And any plans to escalate the officialness of your journalism? <laughs> uh, not not at this stage. I mean, I'm still while I'm working, it's it's got to be very much a part time effort, and I'm happy for it to, to remain. So I guess I can look at things like that if I want to up once I retire one day, but uh, not quite there yet. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for the, the catch-up on the World Cup. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you had a great time. And, yeah, it's I, I'm always interested in your adventures following Australian football and its successes. Thanks so much, Paul, and uh, really good to chat with you. And sorry if I uh, hogged the conversation a bit. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and now something new. I'm going to talk to my man in L.A. for an L.A. dude update. So- And now I'm coming to my man in LA. He's uh, in a jacuzzi full of cocaine up on the Hollywood Hill next to the big D on the sign Hollywood. Uh, it's Ryan Haley. Hey, Ryan. Hey, I know this wasn't the big D that I promised you, but uh, this is what you get. <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah. So Hollywood, what's happening? What's not happening? What's the latest? I, I, I mean, there is a cocaine shortage in the city right now because it takes so much to fill a jacuzzi. A jacuzzi shaped like a guitar, by the way, because that's oh. just how we do it here. You are classy. But yeah, everybody's uh, everybody's strike crazy right now. That's all anyone can talk about. Yeah. So what practical effect does the strike have on your life? Uh, literally none. Uh, celebrities have been canceling on our show. So 
Uh, Tom Hanks was supposed to be on this week. Tom Cruise was supposed to be on the week before that, and they cancelled. So, I think it's the strike is a good thing. But do we have any op- optimism that uh, the execs will do the right thing and stop being pricks about uh, you know paying people decent decent money? I mean, I'm at the point right now, just watching the world burn over the last five years, that uh, there is no right thing for these people anymore. Like, my whole theory is that the field of serial killers went away because all Mm. sociopaths just became CEOs instead. (laughs) And I don't, it's not that like CEOs or studio moguls of the heyday of Hollywood were great people. Um, But I still think that there was some amount of let's make art good. This is, this shit is crazy. I mean, the fact that they wouldn't even bring AI to the table to discuss it, um, it, I think this is so scary. What? So, how would they bring it to the table? Would it be in a box, or <laughs> typically, yeah. There's one box. It's uh, the on Blu-ray. They bought a copy of Steven Spielberg's AI, but they won't even give Spielberg royalties for it, and that's insane. Where do you think this is going to go? I mean, we. The world is burning, as you've said, uh, literally in your case, as well as hurricanes and burning bits. And um, yeah, I keep hearing how horrible summer is going to be down here in Australia, which is just fantastic to hear. Um, yeah, because, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by trees. Yeah, where, where, what's the end game here? I mean, will they all just move to Mars and leave us here without any shows? I mean, I hate the fact that they can, it seems that they can remove content now and write it off and get some sort of bonus from the tax office. It's uh, I don't understand that. That's, I mean, I think that's the craziest thing that um, I, I think Batwoman uh, or Batgirl was it Batwoman? Um, it was Batgirl. Batgirl kicked off this whole thing of like, wait, what the fuck can happen? Like, they incentive from the government for this. Um, that was sort of the start of us realizing what they're capable of. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the content, but I think that looking back on the streaming wars in general, we were all sort of screwed. Um, I think that, you know, like 10 years ago, they came up with this term disruptors and we thought that was cool. You know, it's it's cool to like disrupt the norm, but what we didn't realize is that there was nothing, they never thought about like, is this for the better? And yeah. what, what we get from Netflix and Disney Plus, I mean, I have a two and a half year old. So Disney Plus, I paid $7.99 for it. What I should be paying for is $350 a month. I mean, it's when I was a kid, we had to own all of those things on VHS and then DVD. The fact yeah. that we get it for $7, like there's no way they're making enough money to pay for all of it. Um, and they just all screwed themselves. They ruined the the TV market with commercials. They ruined the DVD market. They were making cash hand over fist and they disrupted it and they ruined it. And so... I don't know what happens other than starting like literally I think the the real way to save it is for streaming services to cost roughly 100 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month. Either that or all of the ones all of the mid-majors basically you have Netflix and you have Amazon and then the rest or I'm sorry uh Netflix and yeah Amazon and then the rest combine and try to compete because everybody else is drowning out there. Yeah. So uh, what are you looking forward to in movies and things coming out? Uh, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, I think that Dune getting postponed to 24 was potentially the first domino to fall of a bunch of them. Um, I think that the rest of 23 could get wiped out. Uh, 
without I, it's it seems weird to me that they were like well celebrities can't promote dune so then we have to postpone it to 24 until the strike is over i think that dune you don't need celebrities for right it's like such famous ip and the first part was so popular both in yeah. theaters and streaming that you wouldn't need the celebrities but i think that those two uh, stars in particular as zendaya and timothy chalamet have such a wide appeal to a generation that it's it's really hard to get into theaters that they thought it better to push. I wonder if that's just going to start happening to other movies. As far as like our dork shit, like uh, you know, the Marvels, it looks good. <laughs> Aquaman yeah, two okay. doesn't. Uh, we haven't seen anything from that, have we? Well, we saw um, Aquaman one, and so. <laughs> Well, that was very popular, and I'm not sure I know why at yeah, all. Yeah, it was a weird time. People were just, they really wanted a movie that had an octopus playing drums. I think that's what we were all about at that time in our lives. No, well, I wanted more of an octopus tr- playing drums, and I still want that. I mean, I, I'd like, uh, you know, every film to have an octopus playing drums, like The Irishman or, you know, <laughs> Casino Royale, whatever, you know, get it in there. See, with AI or VR or something that's coming, you can add an octopus to every movie that you're watching. Yeah. Okay. What's well, so, so Citizen Kane, things like that. I am going to, I'm going to warn you this. Like, I've already had this conversation with you, but I'm going to have it with you again. Please don't buy an octopus for your home and then give it a drum set. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be worth the joke. I'm going to take that on adv- advisement. I'm, you know, I'm not saying I won't, but, I, you know, I could just get you to think about it. That's, I've done my job. <laughs> The trailer for Ferrari dropped today. Are you a Michael May Michael Mann? Michael Mann? Are you a Michael I'm Mann? I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paul Mann. <laughs> no, um, yeah, Michael Mann, as in uh, collateral and stuff like that. And uh And Heat and the upcoming Heat yeah. 2. Is he doing Heat 2? Uh yes, I've heard that Adam Driver has already been talked to. Oh wow. Wow. Okay, it's gonna be like uh <gasps> Well, I'm going to be funny. I'm going to say something controversial. I really liked Heat when I watched it the first time, and then I rewatched it recently, and it mostly bored the shit out of me. I got to say, typically, if you were to talk to other people of my age and gender, uh, you'd get a beer bottle thrown directly at your head, but I have to agree. I do not understand. People are just obsessed with that movie, and it is far too long and far too boring. Yeah, I mean, you, you could actually edit out all the boring bits and you get a 10-minute movie that's really quite good with some good action. And I'm sorry, uh, Heat, two hours and 45 minutes and there's not a single octopus playing the drums in any part? No, no, not even any other seafood playing the drums. It's, yeah. I call it food, which sort of says where I my perspective on animal life. Um, sorry. Yeah, um, but Ferrari... Uh, which they cast Adam Driver, which I think I feel like that's kind of on the nose. What's, what's that cartoon where the guy turns into a car? Oh yeah, um, we actually talked about doing that uh, on the show. We just finished well, on my show, the superhero show show. If I can get a plug in real quick, um, we just completed X Men: The Animated Series, and we were thinking about what we should do next. And Cassie, the host of my show, brought up this thing you're talking, this horrifying body horror disgusting cartoon that you're talking about yeah it's it's david cronenberg's childhood cartoon but uh we went with spider-man instead i think you're you're risking it with something so obscure (laughs) it's turbo teen (laughs) turbo teen (laughs) 
Oh, dear. Which which is what my high school girlfriend called me. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, we've started watching Buffy with my son because he's never he was he wasn't born when it came out, so we've started watching that. Is he digging and, it, or is it a little too nineties for him? He's seen worse stuff, so I think he finds it quite amusing. Yeah. Um, so some of the effects in the first season are pretty uh, ropey, uh, but he. You know, I think he appreciates the constant flow of monsters and demons. And it is kind of twisty. Like, it doesn't always do exactly what you think it's going to do, uh, even though most TV just does ex- exactly what you think it's going to do. Uh, it is both my wife's favorite show and my uh, co-host of Mike of Superhero. Um, it's his favorite show. And so I finally buckled down and watched it. And I couldn't. I maybe got through the first season. I couldn't take it because of this character, Xander. And I told them uh, I can't take Xander. And they both looked at each other in that exact way of, hmm, I wonder why. Is it because you're exactly like Xander? <laughs> well, my son was going, what's he been in? I've seen him in something. And I, I we talked it through. And I, I think he thinks he's Bruce Campbell. Uh, is it prison? I think he's uh, done some time. Has he? Oh, yeah. okay. You know how there's those celebrities who, like, um, will just spend some time getting super drunk and running through the streets. I think he's one of those guys. Oh, okay. Golly, he's an Australian. I mean, one of the things, this is, I've got to prepare you for this. You have um, a young child. Um, uh-huh. You're going to have to watch some shit. You're going to have to watch the stuff that you don't like, that they love. And you're going to start liking it just because they love it. And, it, you know, it's, their love will impose itself on your brain and warp it so that, you know, it goes... Yes, I do like this. Um, the, the example I had for my son was uh, the Transformers movies by Michael Bay. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he loved them. So you know, I would. It's. I think it was just nice to have him like something nerdy. Yeah, and, and like whatever baby steps, you know, literally whatever like uh, stepping stones they could take in to get into your nerd world, I think is totally worth it. Um. I, I honestly think that as long as it's a movie, as hard as Michael Bay is to watch sometimes with the, you know, MTV style editing and stuff, the TV shows that they make for kids are so purposefully annoying that I think any movie is better than that. Uh, we tried to get my daughter to watch movies as soon as possible, just so it wasn't the loud, obnoxious cartoons that they have for uh, on TV. Yeah. Has she discovered Bluey yet? She has. Yeah, that was uh, that was one that we sort of forced onto her, um, probably at too young, but we really wanted to watch it. And so she would just sort of find toys to play with. Now that she's uh, getting closer to three, she's a little more into it. Um, yeah. But really, uh, for her, it's been all, believe it or not, uh, Disney princesses. And so that's what we do all day. But again, at least they're movies. You know, yeah, we tried with uh, I Claudius uh, with my children when they were really young and they weren't into it. Um, yeah. yeah, but perhaps if there was an octopus playing the drums, you know, it would have you know, lit them up a bit. Yeah. And again, what I do is uh, everything that we watch, I have a uh, cutout, a picture of an octopus playing drums and I just tape that to the TV. So it, like it never really leaves any scene. Cool. Yeah. Right, Ryan. Well, um, I appreciate you coming on and giving me the update from Hollywood. I'll let you get back to your cocaine. And uh, yeah, uh, please plug your stuff because I've been enjoying it. Uh, you're in, you're, 
in the movie of the year show where you basically pick a year with um, a few of your colleagues i'm calling the colleagues i don't know if they're friends or what um and you dig deep and you analyze that movie and say you know this is the things that everyone knows about this year but what were the things that were good or bad i'm actually doing your spiel for you so yeah yeah you asked me to plug it and then you just started plugging it yeah I well i feel pluggy at the moment um yeah so i've been listening to that and yeah it's 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 funny because you watch films that I watched when I was young and you go, this film is really boring and slow. And I'm like, that was a film back then. <laughs> it's uh, so Westworld is one that we've done. So we're doing 1973, right? Basically, the yeah. premise of the show came from um, we thought that the Oscars were awarding movies too soon. Right. Like, how do you yeah. know what's good when it's like three months after they came out? And so what we thought we would do is that we'd pick a year and throw all the movies into a bracket whittle it down to 16 each of those 16 movies get their own show and then we'd complete the bracket after we watch those 16 so right now we're doing 1973 uh westworld uh which is based on an hbo show i believe made the top 16 <laughs> and uh you know we were excited because the show because of michael crichton big crichton heads over here uh and it has its you know merits but it, it's it has that like you know groovy sci-fi laid back very relaxed flow for sure mm. yeah um, nothing happens is what you're trying to say not almost nothing happens but yeah uh the other on the flip side one that i don't think we were very stoked about but i don't know if this is out or it's coming out this week but uh we did brian de palma's sisters it's a very sus sentence <laughs> i have not seen that yeah i i i I have acquired the last detail to watch based awesome. on what's what's coming up, um, but I've not seen Sisters. Um, I do like a bit of De Palma, and uh, yeah, I'm. I think I like De Palma more than Cronenberg, if that's a shocking thing to say. Yeah, I think yeah, you have to pick one, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you have to love one and hate the other. Is I think how movie rules work, but um, everything I, in life works that way. You yeah. can't love something without hating something. Exactly. Um, I have always I've struggled with uh, De Palma at times, and so we were coming into this really low budge horror movie, and it was spectacular. It was so good. yeah, oh, good yeah. I've I've never actually heard of that one, but um, when I was five, so I wasn't seeing a lot of De Palma back then. Well, Quentin Tarantino would have been there if he was five. So oh yeah, think about that. Uh, and then the <laughs> other show is the superhero show show where uh, Paul has been on as a interview guest and as a panelist i believe you watched x-taz with us and what else did, oh you watched riverdale right you watched yeah i watched riverdale i gave you a lot of shit i think um <laughs> you did <laughs> yeah did you hear doom patrol's coming back we got dates oh i did not know i thought that there was a chance that they were gonna throw it in the trash bin <laughs> well maybe they couldn't work out how to monetize not showing it so but yeah i believe it's coming back in october they're really rushing it out that is exciting yeah, um, what is, nine months of a, of a gap so yeah that's shitty but uh we cover every show based on a comic book doom patrol is based on the comic book so paul you want to come back and help us cover doom patrol in october uh, it's the least i could do um I'll have to pick and choose because I will be away for uh, five weeks of that period and I'm not taking pod podcasting a gear, gear away because my wife will divorce me. So, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, definitely I can do some Doom Patrol back at that point. Okay. Yeah, I would say uh, I'll let you pick and choose. You can either bring the gear or cancel the trip. 
So pick one of those two. I'll just have some words with my wife and what's all around. <laughs> hey, I'm divorced. I can do whatever I want now. It's cool. Freedom. <laughs> do you know how many podcasts per week divorced men do? It's a lot. <laughs> they also sleep in race car beds. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. All right, Ryan. Well, um, yeah, I encourage people to go and listen to the those shows. You know, uh, you you have made me laugh, and you have some very funny people on the show. And uh, yeah, you um, you're not afraid of uh, calling something a piece of shit when it's secret invasion. So we do what we can. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Will you be mine? Will you be mine?